open them up to uh, the book of John. I'm not going to tell you where to go just yet. Just go to the book of John. If you're still carrying a Bible, uh, if you've got a phone or tablet or whatever you're using, just get up, get ready to, to dive into uh, the book of John. Um, I'm going to be talking about the last couple of days of Jesus' life. One of the things that I appreciate most about Jesus is not just that he did what he said he was going to do. Um, it's, it's not so much the miracles that he performed, you know, and, and he did a lot of awesome miracles, you know, raising people from the dead and blind eyes being opened, deaf ears being opened. He did a lot of amazing things. And it wasn't so much the truth that Jesus spoke that impacts my life. To me, one of the things that impacts my life the most about the life of Jesus was his ability to stay focused on the mission that his father had called him to be on. You know, Jesus said that um, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost, those that were lost. Um, he said, and we named our series after this, a greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And then he said that we're his friends. He was focused on the mission that his father had called him to. For 33 and a half years, his whole life led up to the glide pattern of his sacrifice. Of him being crucified, put in a grave, and then raised from the dead. His whole life. His whole life was building up to these last couple of days. These last few events. And... It's amazing to me that he, religious leaders couldn't distract him from his mission. Political leaders couldn't distract him from his mission. Um, even the disciples in his inner circle couldn't distract him from his mission. You know how sometimes friends can just kind of sway you off track sometimes if you get around the wrong crowd? Jesus wouldn't let people do that to him. Now, you would hear him say things like, I only say what I hear the Father give me to say. And I only do what I hear the Father tell me to do. His, he was focused was just laser sharp, and he had this ability to see over all the distraction and all the drama and all the traps and all the snares and stay focused on his mission to the very end. And that focus and that following of his mission led him to a room with his disciples where they were going to have what we call the Last Supper. Now, they didn't call it the Last Supper. They, like, Jesus didn't get his disciples together and say, all right, guys, we're going to get together today, and we're going to have the Last Supper, and it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to wash some feet, you know, and we're going to get in here and take our little poses, and somebody's going to draw a great little picture of us, and we're going to have cool paintings, you know. It's going to be the Last Supper. It wasn't like that. They were celebrating um, the Passover festival the Jewish festival to celebrate Passover. Um, they were preparing for a meal, a Passover meal, that came before Passover. And Passover, y'all know where Passover comes from, by the way? Anybody? All right, uh, I saw a lot of people going, what are you talking about? Passover, is a, it's a Jew, it was a Jewish um, festival and celebration of something that God had done in the past. Had to go way back in time to where Moses was leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. And God was just striking Egypt with plague after plague after plague. And um, he said, Pharaoh wasn't letting the, the, the children of Israel go. So God told Moses, I'm fixing to send in my angel of death to Egypt. 
I'm kind of paraphrasing here. And he said, this is what you're going to have to do. I want you guys to sacrifice pure lamb and take the blood. I know that's kind of gross. Take the blood from the lamb and put it over the doorpost of your home. So that when my death angel comes in to kill the, for the firstborn in the land, he'll come in and he'll see the blood over the doorpost and know that he's to pass over that home and go to the ones that aren't covered. Here's the foreshadowing of the sacrifice of Jesus and his blood covering our sins. And they were celebrating the fact that God chose to pass over those people because of the covering of the blood of the lamb. And isn't it amazing to think about celebrating that Passover and the sacrificial lamb while they're having a Passover meal with the sacrificial lamb of God? the one who was going to give his life and shed his blood for all of the sin so that the judgment of God could pass over all of us. Can you imagine how awesome this moment would have been? So he gets them together for this meal, and we see all of these great things begin to happen. And all these stories that we hear told about Jesus washing his disciples' feet and setting this example of how you're supposed to lead. You lead as a servant. Setting this beautiful example. And Jesus praying all these beautiful prayers and giving all these great principles in this moment. And then it comes time for them to have this meal and Jesus just drops a huge bomb on the disciples. I mean, he drops a 10-ton nuclear bomb on them. In John chapter 13, verse 18 um, by the way, all the notes for the message today are available on the Version Bible app. You can follow along with us today on that off of your phone. Jesus drops this huge bomb in the middle of all these beautiful things happening. He says, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I've chosen. But this is to fulfill the passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. And after he said this, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. Jesus' disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. This was huge. Jesus said, guys, I got to tell you something. One of you guys is going to sell me out. One of you guys is going to betray me. And this hit the disciples like a Louisville slugger across the, just bam, right across the forehead because they were such a tight-knit group. I mean, think about it. This is a group of people that had traveled with Jesus in his inner circle for, for three years now in ministry, and, and, or a little over three years now, and they had walked with him. They had been persecuted with him. They had ministered with him. They had walked. They had been attacked with him. They had people lie about him. They were a tight-knit group. And then Jesus says, one of you guys is going to betray me. He says they stared at one another at a loss to know which of them is. Like, who in this group could possibly sell you out? We have been through so much, and we've seen you do so much. We've seen you do the impossible. Who in this room is going to be able to do this? And Simon Peter motioned over to uh, the disciple that was sitting next to, to Jesus at the time, and he asked him, which one he means, I love this. Like Peter's always the bold one in the group. He's like, oh, this hey, why don't you ask him what he's talking about here? So leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, 
It is the one whom I will give this piece of bread when I've dipped it into the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. We're going to come back to this in a little bit because this is significant, what Jesus is doing here. And as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do quickly. But no one at the mill understood why Jesus has said this to him. I guess the disciples weren't exactly a bright bunch of people. And I read this, and I start asking a lot of, like when I read the Bible, I ask questions. Like I want to know why things are happening, and I try to figure out what people's motivations are and what's going on. I think it's great to ask legitimate common sense questions when you're reading the Bible, right? I think it's great to do that. And so one of the big questions that I have when I read this is, why in the world would Judas betray Jesus? Why would Judas betray Jesus? Uh, what's the motivation here? You know, a lot of people say, well, he did it for the money. He did it for the money because, you know, the Bible says that he got 30 pieces of silver. And I thought, well, maybe the money might be part of it. I don't know. But did you know that like 30 pieces of silver... In today's economy, and this is kind of big, like a big gap here, but it's going to be somewhere between $90 and $3,000, give or take, depending on how you, well, like which currency exchange and how you translate what, it, what it's worth. There's different opinions on it, um, just like anything else. But on the high end, it's going to be like around $3,000 or so. I don't know that I would sell anybody out for three grand, personally. You know, that might be a factor. Some of y'all are like, I don't know right now. I could because I can just go down the street to get Taco Bell, and I'd love to go to the beach right now, you know. Maybe three grand. Maybe you sell somebody out for, for three grand right now. I don't know. But, but I don't know that money was necessarily a motivating factor. I got to wonder why Judas would betray Jesus. Because we got, we have a, uh, the privilege of hindsight and perspective on this because we can open up the Bible and we can see the totality of the story. We know how it begins, and we know how it ends, and we know what G Judas does. And we say, well, Judas betrayed Jesus because Judas was Judas. And that's what you do when you're Judas. You betray people, right? That's why a lot of people don't name their kids Judas. They don't. You know, if my parents named me Judas, I'd be, I just get blamed for everything. Who broke this? Judas. Judas did it. Like, if you're Judas, you betray people. It's like Benedict Arnold. You betray people. You're a traitor, you know. He gets a bad rap. This is what people don't realize, though, that Judas wasn't always the Judas that betrayed Jesus. He wasn't always that guy. He didn't always have that motivation. He didn't always have that in his heart. So something had to happen to make something change in him to get him to this point. And I wonder what it was. I wonder what would cause Judas to betray Jesus. Because remember, Judas, we know him as Judas the betrayer, but he was one of the original 12 disciples that were hand-picked by Jesus. Hand-picked by Jesus. He was picked into that same group. Judas was mentioned by Jesus. You know, when Jesus looked over his disciples and he said, hey, um, you guys are going to sit on 12 thrones and you're going to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. Judas was in that group. He was included in that group when Jesus said that. Judas went out with the disciples when Jesus sent them out to preach the good news. Judas went out and prayed for people and saw people healed 
saw the miraculous take place. Judas was with the disciples when they went out to cast out demons. Judas got to see all of that awesome stuff happen. Judas got to see powerful ministry take place. And Judas got to go out, not just in the authority, but operate in the authority and power that Jesus gave him. Judas got to see the miraculous take place through his ministry. Judas wasn't always the guy that betrayed Jesus. So what was it that got him from the guy that could pray for people and see blind eyes open and cast demons out to this guy who was sitting at a table next to his Savior, having his Savior look at him and going, whatever you're going to do, do it quickly. Get it over with. There had to be something in there. And the truth is, I think there's a whole lot of somethings that happened. If you want to jump in your Bibles to John chapter 12, Verse 1, we're going to go back in time. How many of y'all seen Wayne's World? Wayne's World, that's a throwback movie right there. Hey, you know what they did when they went back in time in Wayne's World? Y'all remember that? Yeah, y'all remember that? We've got to do that if we're going back in time this morning, all right? I know it's in church, and it's supposed to be boring. Both, we're supposed to be a bunch of stiff people that don't have any fun. But we're going to go back in time Wayne's World style this morning. Can we do it? It's all right, everybody on the count of three, I want you to do this with me. One, two, three. Okay, stop, 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 stop. Half the people are doing this right now. So half of us are going back in time. We can't halfway go back in time. We all got to do this, okay? Or at least 99%. Some of you are probably like, I just don't know that I can do that and feel the presence of God. You know what? It's, we're going to pray for you for a whole lot of other reasons besides that. Um, but listen, on the count of three, let's all go back in time together. One, two, three. Three. There we go. We had about 90% of us doing it. Some of y'all were laughing at us. We're going back in time about six days, almost a week, give or take, um, to right before the Passover stuff happened. John 12, verse 1. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. How awesome how awesome is this? You got, you got Martha and, and, and Mary here. You got this stuff happening. And you got Lazarus, who was dead, raised from the dead, chilling at the table, talking to Jesus. This had to be a cool party to be at. And Mary took about a pint, took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. Another one of those beautiful stories that we get to teach on. And the house was filled with, with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, now the other gospels don't single out Judas in this encounter. But John rats him out because John doesn't care if snitches get stitches. John's just going to let everybody know who the instigator was in this. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, see he's throwing him under the bus here, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. Way to go, John. Just ratting him out on everything right now. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. So now we see that Judas has got a track record of compromise that started in his life. And it had been going on long enough for at least John to realize that Judas was helping himself to the money that was in the money bag. A little bit of compromise has come into Judas's life. That's important because all the junk that we deal with spiritually usually begins with small little compromise in our walk with God. 
And here is what I think is one of the major motivators in Judas betraying Jesus. Jesus calls him out. Leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. I think this moment was a huge motivator in Judas's life because I think, this is my personal opinion, because it doesn't just spell this out in Scripture and say, Judas was offended at Jesus and went out immediately to betray him. But what you see in all the other gospel accounts is that after this encounter, Judas felt the need to retaliate against Jesus and betray him because it says that he went out immediately to the chief priests and discussed a way to turn Jesus over to them. Immediately, he went out to do that. Before the Last Supper, Jesus called out Judas, and I believe that Judas got offended over it because Judas's heart was already open for the enemy to come in and plant the seeds because he had an established track record of compromise in his walk, and he was already selling out on the little things. And when Jesus called him out, that was it, and he had to go out and retaliate. And it's hard to think that a guy who could pray and see God move through him, see the miraculous take place, and go out and preach and see all the wonderful things that he saw, and actually hang out with Jesus day after day after day, could find himself in a place where something like this, or a little bit of compromise and some offense, could find himself in a place where he would literally want to retaliate and, and fight back and betray Jesus. But we see people do it all the time in the church. We see people do it all the time in the church. Churches across the world are full of people that have had powerful ministries, that have seen God do stuff through them, that have prayed for people and seen them healed, that have been able to preach, that have been able to minister, that have been able to do so many wonderful things and see God do so many wonderful things, but now they aren't productive and they aren't effective because over time they let compromise come in and offense after offense after offense has taken them out of the game and they're no longer effective for the kingdom of God. See it everywhere, don't you? I know we don't see it in anyone in here this morning, but you see it everywhere in the world. Because when we, all we see is offense, we lose sight of our mission. We lose sight of our mission. I can think back on so many people through the years who were so on fire for God, but then one thing after another after another began to happen, and one person did this, and one person did that, and that fire that used to burn so bright got dim, and they just don't do what they used to do, and they just don't pour out like they used to. It's because they lost sight of the mission and the calling on their life because one offense after another has come in and slowly taken them off track and all they can see now is a life filled with a track record of offenses and plenty of reasons why not to do what they're called to do instead of seeing the mission that God has called them to with their lives we don't have to fall into that trap guys you don't have to fall into that trap um, when all we see is offense we lose sight of our mission see Jesus knew we were going to have to deal with offenses in our life he even said it in Luke 17 1 he said he was talking to his disciples, and he says, It's impossible that no offenses should come. But woe to him through whom they do come. 
It's impossible that no offenses should come. You know what that means? That every one of us at one point in our lives, and probably at several points in our lives from here on out, are going to have the opportunity to be offended. Somebody's going to say something. Somebody's going to do something. The scenario is going to work out just so. We're going to be disappointed. Our expectations aren't going to be met. We're going to have to deal with offense. Jesus said it's impossible. You're going to have to deal with it. Now, what we do with that offense when we're faced with it is critical. It's critical. Yeah, we live in a day and an age where everybody is offended over everything. Have you noticed this? Everybody's offended over everything. Like, you have to be politically correct in just about anything that you say. I don't buy into that junk, by the way, which is probably why I don't have that many friends. <laughs> I just like to say, you know, what, what I feel like saying, you know, respectfully, but I just don't buy into all that. You have to censor yourself and f for, because of the fear of offending other people. I just, so many people offended by so many things in life. Like, if I were, I could probably... I could probably just put a microphone up here and just let people talk about the stuff that bothers them. And we'd be here till Thursday once the ball started rolling. We'd probably be here till Thursday. I just can't stand this. I can't stand that. I can't stand this. I can't stand this. We get offended over all kinds of stuff. There's stuff that bothers me. I'm offended that the referee didn't make the call last night in the basketball game and called the dude for a double dribble and cost Auburn the stinking basketball. Auburn should be playing in the national championship game, but I guess the, the referee blinked when the guy did boop, boop, like that and double dribbled, and, and there you go. <sighs> Pray for your pastor. Pray for your pastor. Um, how many of y'all have ever dealt with traffic before? See, traffic bothers me. Traffic bothers me. And it's not because of, like, all the cars that are out there. Like, you've heard me say this before. I have a hard time when it comes to traffic. It's not because there's a lot of people on the road. It's that several of those cars in that picture are operated by people that are not qualified to operate the cars that are in the picture. You know what I'm talking about? Like, how did you get a license? Who did you give 50 bucks to to pass? They got to get you on through. Yeah. Uh, here's the free movie tickets. Just let me pass. Okay. I don't get it. They don't understand how to drive. Let it rain in Atlanta, and you will see these people. They come out in droves. Oh, they drive 45 miles an hour in the fast lane. Like they got nowhere to go. Yeah, somebody said, when it rains real hard, they put their flashers on. Blinds everybody. You know, they just don't know how. They go from the fast lane all the way over to across the interstate to get off on the exit and cut everybody off. You know, it's like, how? 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 Like, I wish the government would start a program where private citizens could police the roads and we could just take these people out. I would volunteer my time. Be, they'd be like, Josh, you've arrested 843 people this week. I know. I took two days off. I'll do better next week. You know, it's just, <laughs> stuff bothers me because people do stuff like this. Show this next picture. Look at this dude. That car right there is blocking an entire lane of traffic trying to cut across to get to a turning lane so they can go this direction. Instead of getting in the lane way back when like they should have, they're going to stop and block everybody so that they can make that left turn to get into that lane to go up to the light and go whoop and go that way. 
Oh my gosh. Some of y'all are looking at the ground right now. Y'all do this stuff, don't you? Y'all are the lane blockers. I'm praying for you. I'm praying. I don't understand that. To me, that's incredibly selfish. If you can't get over, just go through the light, go down, turn around, and come back and turn the way that you need to go. Don't stop traffic and make everybody. Hallelujah. Okay. I'm going to stop. I don't understand that. We get offended over little things like this. And the offenses, even over something silly like this, can set root in your heart and slowly begin to take you off track. Uh, How many of y'all have been on social media lately? Facebook and Instagram and all that fun stuff. Have you guys ever hopped, ever, ever been on Facebook and not seen a debate of some kind going on? (laughs) Me either. But there's always something. If you ever want to have fun, hop on Facebook or Instagram and just put, I love chocolate cake. I think chocolate cake is the best cake ever. And then wait an hour. You'll get, chocolate cake's awesome. And you'll see chocolate cake pictures. And then you'll see somebody say, chocolate cake stinks. I love strawberry cake. I love pound cake. And then you'll see, I hate cake. I love apple pie. Here come the opinions. And here starts the little deal. And I'm like, this is my feed. I said, I love chocolate cake. I'm glad you love chocolate. I'm glad that you love apple pie, but don't tell me chocolate cake stinks. Have you ever had chocolate cake with a glass of milk? Oh, my God. Angels come out and sing, and it's amazing. It could be raining, and the clouds apart, and here comes the sun. <clears throat> and then you have that one person who hops on there and says, I don't eat cake. I don't eat pies. I gave up sugar six months ago, and it changed my life forever. Hallelujah. And then here comes post article, post article, post video. Check this stuff out. The dangers of sugar. It'll kill you. Oh, my gosh. Here we go. And then you know what's about to happen. You know, just over chocolate cake on social media. Here comes, here comes the arguments. Here comes the offenses. I want to show you something in just a second, though, that is probably one of the most offensive things I've ever shown in a church in my entire life. If you've got small children... You might want to get ready to cover their eyes. I want to apologize in advance. Because to me, what I'm about to show you is incredibly offensive. And I know for many of us here this morning, what I'm about to show you is going to be incredibly offensive. Look at this. Oh, my gosh. That is horrible. Horrible. God, please forgive us for bringing this pagan image into your house today. How many of you would say this picture right here offends you terribly? How many of you would say that? Yeah. Yep. Some of you said no. How many of y'all are Bama fans? Like a bunch of Bama fans here this morning. (laughs) Pastor Jeremy. Pray for Pastor Jeremy. Pastor Jeremy's about to charge the stage. But see, if you're an Alabama fan today, I just offended the snot out of you. Like you're ready to take up arms. Get, get Pastor Josh out of here. I, Pastor Brad and Pastor Jeremy probably do a better job. Uh, they, sure, they sure wouldn't talk about Alabama in a negative way. That's crazy. We get offended over so many crazy things. You know the word offense? All it really means is to cause to stumble. That's all it means, to cause to stumble. We think of it as like some huge wound or some huge injury, and it's not. 
It's just a cause to stumble. That's what it means. This is one of the devil's most favorite tactics to use to destroy the life of a believer. Just to cause you to stumble. Because he knows that if he comes busting into your house with a tank and says, I'm here to take you out, you'll see it. You'll recognize it. And you'll put him in his place. But if he can just trip you up and get you to stumble a little bit and get you off balance, then he can get you off track. And he can find the right moment to come in and attack. You know, the word offense comes from uh, a root word called scandalodon. And scandalon, um, it just means this. It's like a movable stick or a trigger for a trap. Where bait's supposed to go. So that an animal can be lured in and caught in a trap. That's it. That right there. Where the bait goes to lure in the animal. That's what a fence is. It's bait on a trap to take you out. And so when the things happen in our lives, they're little. Little things happen. And we don't realize how our irritation at traffic or our frustration at work is carrying over with us into our house. We don't realize how it's causing us to talk to our children our spouse because the little offenses that we don't notice carry over and spill out into the other areas of our lives so you go walking in one day and before you realize what's happened you're caught in a trap and that's exactly where the enemy wants you to be it's exactly what he wants to do in your life to get you to stumble to get you in a place where you're caught up in multiple small offenses, and before you realize it, you're caught in a larger trap that's taking you out of God's will for your life. That's what he wants to do. The enemy's agenda is to steal, to kill, and to what? To steal, kill, and destroy. That means that anything that comes from the devil, that's the end result every time. It doesn't matter how good she looks, it doesn't matter how good he looks in a pair of jeans. It doesn't matter how sweet he talks. It doesn't matter how much money the job pays. If it comes from the enemy, the end result is going to be to steal, kill, and destroy every time. Every time. And that's how he operates in our lives. It's a trap. And so he'll get us fighting with one another. Fighting with one another. Fighting with one another. Arguing with our spouse. Arguing with people at work. Destroying our witness. Or arguing and fighting with somebody in the church. You know, Rihanna wants to join the worship team. And Pastor Shelley says, girl, that's awesome. You can't sing. I'm sorry, but we're not going to have you up on the word. And then, pa- and then Rihanna gets upset at Pastor Shelley because Pastor Shelley says, you can't sing. And now there's division. And now there's offense. And we're fighting with one another. And what we don't realize is that while we're focused on the offense and we're focused on the conflict and we're focused on what's happening, that's when the enemy comes in and takes us out. That's when he divides and that's when he destroys. I saw a video that illustrates this perfect and I want to show it to you this morning. Now it's shot off of a phone. 
so the footage is kind of rough, but you're going to see two animals fighting with one another, and then you're going to see a lion come in and do what lions do. I want you guys to watch this. They can see already. Yes. They can see already. They're in the fight. Oh, we are lucky. We are lucky. We are lucky. Oh, we see a fight, maybe. No. It's coming. They don't get it. Just wait. Just wait. Just wait. Just wait. Just wait. Just wait. Wait. Ah, it's oh over. my god. It's over. It's over. It's over. It's over just like that. But how many times have you seen two people fighting and caught up and then watched the enemy come in and just wreak destruction in their lives? As a pastor, I'm telling you, I see it over and over and over again. Did you see how fast all those other animals got out of Dodge when they saw the lion coming? They're like, oh, phew, they were gone. But now this too, they're just fighting away, fighting away, fighting away, and they didn't see what was happening until it was too late. That's how offense works in our lives. We don't realize how far we've gone until the trap is sprung and the enemy's there to do what he wants to do in our lives. And that's where Judas was. That's where Judas was. He didn't realize maybe how far he had gone. You know, the time to deal with offense, the time to handle an offense is when it happens. It's when it happens. It's always little stuff. Little stuff. These little rocks. Little stuff. Little offenses that we carry around. Stuff from high school. Stuff from grade school. Stuff from relationships. People that we dated. Stuff we carry around. Little rocks. Little rocks. What we're supposed to do when the offense happens, is recognize what's going on and respond biblically and deal with the situation. And if we need to talk to someone, we talk to someone. If we need to forgive, then we forgive. And if we need to forgive and the other person doesn't want anything to do with us, then you can have forgiveness without restoration of the relationship because you're doing what you need to do and the other person can do what they want to do. But as far as it's concerned with you, your heart is clean and your heart is pure. You've released it to God and you've forgiven and you've moved on and you don't carry this stuff around. Little things that you don't notice, we're supposed to let go of it. Just drop it. But what so many people do, what so many people do, is they carry this stuff around. Thomas, can you help me for a second? They carry this stuff around. Come on up here. And so somebody will say something to Thomas, and he'll kind of brush it off, but it stays with him. And a couple of months later, he's still carrying that around, and somebody will say something else. And because he hasn't released that, a couple of more rocks hop in that hand, and he's carrying it around. Now, is that heavy? Ain't nothing to that. Nothing to that, you know. Now, what's crazy is this. He can carry the rocks and hurt himself. He can drop the rocks, and he can free himself. But what a lot of people do is they take the rocks and they throw them at other people. Because we like to... Don't get, don't get any crazy ideas. Just, uh, maybe I picked the wrong person. I know for sure if I picked Pastor Jeremy, he beans somebody in the head back here. So that's why I picked you. So anyway, we like to throw. Because hurt people do what? They hurt people every time. 
So we project our offenses onto other people. And it comes out at our family. It comes out at church. It comes out people that we love. The people that we love catch the most junk from us. And we get hurt the easiest by the people that we love the most, you know. And so Thomas is carrying rocks. You got a handful of rocks. You know what's funny, though? While you're carrying those rocks in that hand, what can you do with that hand? Nothing, because you're holding on to the rocks. Now you got another handful of rocks. What can you do with your hands now because they're full of rocks? Not much. You can walk around and you can carry your rocks. People don't realize that while we carry offenses, our productivity in the kingdom of God stops. We're not able to reach out because we're holding on. Now, a few little rocks don't weigh a lot, but if you carry enough offense for long enough, put that in there, you start to carry weight. That's 10 pounds. That's not going to blow you up or anything. That's a lot heavier than a few rocks. A few rocks, after a while, carry a lot of weight. It's like the old joke, what weighs more, a ton of feathers or a ton of rocks? They weigh a ton. doesn't matter. You get enough feathers, you got a ton. You know, you carry enough offense, you start carrying weight. Put those in there. You start carrying enough weight for long enough, after a while you become exhausted. You become fatigued. And your focus goes to the strain and the weight that you're carrying. All you see is the offense. All you see is the baggage that you're carrying. And you're not effective and you're not productive anymore. But you're carrying all the weight. Some of us are so emotionally exhausted and spiritually spent and burnt out in life because we've worn ourselves out carrying weight that we were never intended to carry. And God wants to give us freedom today. You carry enough weight and after a while... It'll wear you out. Give Thomas a hand for helping me out this morning. So you carry weight for a while, and you get worn out. All you see are the offenses. Pastor Jeremy, can you help me? I've been waiting all day to do this to you. Now, if you're carrying the weight and you're focused on the offense, what do people always say? They always say that somebody did what to them? Somebody hurt them. Hurt them. So, we got wounds that we carry around. And what we like to do, this is, I'm giving you church one-on-one right here. All right, this is what we like to do in church. We like to bandage these wounds up so that people can know that we've been hurt. And we like to let people see that we've been hurt. Now, if I wrap your leg, you're going to be freaking out on me. Okay, I'm going to go below the knee because that's God. All right. Leave room for the Holy Spirit and all that. So Jeremy's been through some stuff. He's carrying some weight. He's carrying some offenses. Can I mess up your hair? Can I mess your hair up? He said no. I don't think it matters at this point. So Jeremy. Hey, I'm giving you... Wait, hold on. I'm giving you. I know. I'm giving you a Karate Kid look, dude. You look so awesome right now. You look so awesome right now. Go back to that previous comment. Huh? 
I mean, you're, you're like pot committed. I don't think there's any way out of it. Just, I would turn the crowd against you. You would have to do it or you would be. So this is what we look like. Carrying a weight, bandaged up, focused on the hurt, protecting the hurt with these bandages. But what we do is we cover these wounds up, but we never let them heal. And we walk around with unhealed wounds so that when the next offense happens, you're already so sore from not healing. The pain is excruciating. And that's why something so small can destroy somebody so fast because enough small things unhealed leave a lot of open wounds. And when another small thing, have you ever had a cut that got infected and then you bumped it up against something or you had a bruise that was really deep and you hit it on something and it hadn't healed up but just a little bitty bump will just let you know that joker was there. You know, it screams pretty loud. That's what happens. And that's why little stuff destroys people because we let enough little stuff happen and it goes unresolved. We don't let it heal. We carry it around instead of releasing it and the enemy takes us out. Ineffective and unproductive. Steal, kill, and destroy. That's his goal. To set the trap. Little things over time. Little things over time. That's why the time to handle the offense is when it happens. Because if you carry it around long enough, it's going to open the door to something bigger. And you're going to find yourself in a place like Judas was at. Where you've seen God do so many awesome things. And you've experienced so many wonderful things. And then something happens. And it just derails everything. And you find yourself turning your back on God. You find yourself being ineffective and unproductive. Because enough little stuff went on unresolved. And it became something big. You know, a person who lives in offense is a person who's forgotten what they've been forgiven of. A person that holds grudges is a person that's forgotten what they've been forgiven of. Think about all the stuff that Jesus has forgiven you of. Think about all the stuff he's forgiven me of. Y'all got time for this? I can tell you some stories. <laughs> Jesus has forgiven me of a lot, of a lot. How can we, in light of all of that, hold on to petty little things and hurt ourselves? and resent other people because of what's happened, legitimate or not, in our lives. I think God wants to heal, and God wants to restore a lot of us here today. I want to show you something that we read at the beginning of the message today. John 13, verse 26. This is that exchange between Jesus and the disciples, and he's telling them, one of you guys are going to betray me. Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. What Jesus is doing here is absolutely mind-blowing to me. Because the custom of the day was this. When you had a meal, you had people over. If you were the host or the person in charge. What you had the option of doing was to give the first dip of bread, which was called the sup, to 
anyone that you wanted. And it was the highest honor that you could show to someone at a dinner gathering. You gave this up to the person that you wanted to single out and show as a person of honor who was to be respected and recognized. It was something that you did. You gave this up to the person that you loved the most that was in the room. And Jesus knowing that Judas was going to betray him. And he already washed the guy's feet. He already washed Judas' feet with the rest of the disciples. Knowing that Judas was going to betray him, Jesus gave him the highest place of honor in the room and showed him the greatest amount of love that he could show him in that moment. He said, I honor you and I love you more than anyone in this room right now. Even though I know, even though I know you're about to betray me. And you see a polar opposite response to offense in Jesus and in Judas. Judas saw an offense as an opportunity to betray Jesus. Jesus overlooked Judas's offense and chose to love him and forgive him because he saw past the offense and saw a path to the cross. Because if Judas doesn't betray Jesus, then the door is not open for Jesus to go to the cross. Jesus is focused on his mission. Judas is focused on the offense. What a powerful picture and a powerful representation of how we should approach the people that offend us. With love and with honor. And when they go low, we go high. Every time. When they throw the mud, we show love. Every time. When they're hating, we forgive. Every time. And when we do that, we put ourselves in a place where we don't lose sight of our mission and we don't pick up the small offenses that distract. I thought it would be awesome this morning if we closed the service having our own little last supper of sorts. I wanted us to take communion this morning. One, because it's time for us to do it. We hadn't done it in a few months here. But two, I think it's a powerful way to close a service like this because it brings everything into perspective. Because guys, we've got a mission that we're called to. When we take communion, we do it in remembrance of Jesus' sacrifice, but we also do it in remembrance of what God has equipped us with as his believers and the mission that he's called us to. Realizing that it's not just about us, it's about the people that we're called to reach. And if we're caught up in pettiness and in offense, we can never do that. Gentlemen, if you will, please come. I want to ask everyone in the house to stand. The ushers are going to serve you the elements this morning. Yeah. Now, I want to remind you of a couple of things in Scripture. One, the Bible talks about and warns about taking communion in an unworthy manner. What does that mean? That means that there's sin in our hearts and our lives. We need to get that out. 
That means if there's unforgiveness, if there's offense in your heart, we need to get rid of that. Guys, this is about a whole lot more than us. This is about a Savior that laid down His life for us. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be putting a lot of focus on the last few events of Jesus' life. And I believe God wants to remind all of us today the price that Jesus paid. Not just that, but His focus on His mission. And the fact that He took the high road when Judas took the low road. We can't accomplish our mission if we're caught up in offense. So bow your heads and close your eyes. If you've been served, I know the ushers are still serving you. I want to ask one question this morning. Is there offense in your heart? Are you carrying around a bunch of rocks that you need to be dropping? Are you at a place now where over time the small things have snowballed into something bigger? And you're exhausted. And you're worn out. And you feel burnout in your spirit. You've been carrying stuff you were never intended to carry. If you're in the house today, you say, Pastor Josh, I'm carrying offense in my heart. I'm carrying the weight. I'm carrying the rocks. I'm caught in the trap right now. But I want to choose today to step into the freedom that I know Jesus died to give me. To let go of the hurt. To let go of the offense. So that I can get focused on the mission that God has called me to with my life. And not be distracted by the stuff and the junk that's happened to me. Not, not open myself up for attack from the enemy to take me out. That, I want to let go of all of that. I want to forgive the way that Jesus forgave. So that I can see the mission before me. So that I can do what God has called me to do and be who God has called me to be. If that's you this morning, heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. I'm not going to embarrass you or single you out in any way. When I count to three, I want you to lift your eyes up and look at me because I want to pray with you real fast before we take communion today. If that's you, you know right now. On the count of three, lift your eyes and look at me. One, two, three. Lift them up and look. I see yours. 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 I see your eyes. Once you lift them up, you can put them back down. I see yours. I see you in the back. Praise God for you. People are being honest this morning. God can do so much, so much with people that are honest before Him. I see yours. If you haven't lifted your eyes yet and you know you need to, lift them up. This is the moment of truth. This is the moment of freedom for you in your life today. Don't let this pass by. I see yours. I see yours right there. God's moving in this place. See, it's so easy. It's so easy to pick these things up. It's so easy to carry these things around. Let's all pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we all come before you. So many of us this morning lifted up our eyes and said, 
We're, we're just carrying the stuff around and we don't need it in our lives anymore. We're carrying offenses around and it's weighing us down and it's slowing us down and it's hindering what we can do for you. Lord, we all choose collectively right now as a body of believers. Lord, we choose to drop every offense. Lord, we choose to let it go right now in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray that your freedom reigns in this place today. People choose your freedom today. Lord, I pray that by your spirit that you heal and restore the wounds that are represented here in this room today, Father. Because if there's a wound there, there's a legitimate reason why that wound is there. Lord, you can heal those wounds today. Lord, heal and restore. Be Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals not just our bodies, but heal our hearts, Father. Heal our minds today, Father. Restore what the enemies tried to destroy, Father. Lord, we choose to be people that are not encumbered by offense. Lord, we let that go. Lord, we choose to be people that are focused on the mission that you've called us to, Lord, because there are so many hurt around us that need your love. There's so many dying around us that need your love, Father. There's so many families being destroyed. There's so many people going to hell. If ever there was a time for your church to rise up and be who you've called it to be, it's today, Father. But so many people are caught up in so many offense. Lord, we let that go. We let that go. Father, we say, here we are. Or we're committed to who you've called us to be. One day at a time, we're going to grow closer to you. One day at a time, we're going to allow you to flow through us. One day at a time, we're going to impact this world around us. We're not going to be caught up in the trap that so many people get caught up in. Today marks the day of a new freedom in the lives of the people of this church. We give you honor and we give you praise for what you're doing in this place today. Everyone take the bread and a little wafer that you have. It represents the body of Christ. It represents a whole lot more than that. It represents 33 and a half years of submission and focus on the mission and will of God in his life. His body was broken for us. We're going to talk about that next week. I'm going to show you the crucifixion and a light that you've never seen it before and how it lines up with biblical prophecy. And it's going to blow. It will change your life. His body given for us. His body sacrificed for us. Let's take the breath. This is just grape juice, but it represents the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. It's precious blood. And one drop is powerful, but it wasn't enough. He had to shed all of it to pay the price for your sin and for my sin. On that cross, he bled out and gave everything. Let's remember the sacrifice of Jesus in our lives. I love what God is doing in our church. 
I love what I see God doing in your lives. I love what he's doing in my life right now. Guys, we can never forget the sacrifice that purchased our salvation. We can never forget the mission that we're called to, to let others know about this Jesus that has so powerfully changed our lives. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be taking some powerful looks, some powerful, powerful, powerful moments at the end of Jesus' life. This is all going to come to a spearhead Easter Sunday. And you know that on major holidays like Easter, Resurrection Sunday, or Christmas, that if you just invite someone to come to church with you, that about 80% of people that you invite will show up if you just extend an invitation. What if, over the next few weeks, we went to work as a church praying and believing for specific people in our circle of influence to have their lives changed by the Spirit of God? And what if, over the next few weeks, we invited those people to Easter Sunday service? And we spent those next few weeks focused on the mission that God has called us to and not distracted on the petty stuff. And what if we invited those people and brought them in and we saw God change their lives because we kept our focus. And we didn't just go through the motions. I believe that we could see one of the most powerful encounters with God that we've ever seen in this church this coming Easter. I believe that we could see lives changed, that we thought that the people that we thought no way could God reach that person. I believe that walls will fall down, that lives will be changed, that people will cross over from death to life, but it won't happen if we lose sight of the mission and we don't do our part. What I'm saying is this. What if we went crazy over the next few weeks and invited and prayed and believed and gave God the opportunity to tug at someone's heart? I believe we could see something powerful happen. I believe we could see something happen in this church that we read about in that Bible. I believe we could see something begin I believe we could see our church hit a new level. I believe we could see a move of God, not if we just did it just for Easter, but if we carried it out and kept our focus, I believe that we could see a move of God explode out of this place that would make the, what happened in the book of Acts look like kindergarten stuff. I believe. The question is, do you believe? Do you believe? And are you willing? Because if we are then we're going to see a powerful harvest. How many of you would say, Pastor Josh, over the next few weeks, I'm going to keep focused on the mission, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to invite, and I'm going to bring people in, and I'm going to believe that God is going to impact their lives, because I'm going to do it too. How many of you are with me? How many of you are with me? Praise God. Praise God. Well, let's pray.